0: Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop Twenty Four Seven Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined by the full squad: the day Mateus, Doug Bowman, Evan Watkins, all in the house. Probably first time in a month that we've done this, and I think more so since we've all been together. Any updates? How are you guys feel? I'm
1: good. Any updates on your end, Andrew? Any new, you know, living quarters
0: or something? Yeah, um, <laughs> I now live in Uptown Charlotte, North Carolina, which I've lived here for almost two weeks now. Slightly different experience than the previous eight years of my life living in uh, Blacksburg, Virginia. Uh, Definitely kind of an adjustment, but, you know, it's ACC country. Here we are. A lot of Clemson fans down here, from what I've noticed. University of South Carolina fans. Virginia Tech is strong, though. Seeing hokey stuff everywhere, so I'm feeling uh, pretty much right at home. ACC country for now. That's true. Soon to be Pac-12 country, and we will get to that right now. So just to lay it out for the folks at home who, I guess, live under a rock, looks like UCLA and USC are going to join the Big Ten. Yes, apparently that Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC strategic partnership that was authored less than a year ago, did not have any handshake agreements about going in and stealing the most valuable members of other conferences. That looks to happen. And now, as we've seen over the course of college football in the last, really, two decades, when alignment comes into play, the dominoes continue to fall, leaving long-term questions about the viability of the ACC as it currently stands. Doug Bowman, I'm going to start with you. Virginia Tech, Oregon State, or Virginia Tech, Washington State? (laughs) Which one are you circling on your calendar for
1: 2029? 100% Wazoo. Pullman, great town. They bring the game day flag to every single game day. Not not that excited about it, but in comparison to against Oregon state, you know, Corvallis, probably a nice town, but you know, Pullman, you know, I've heard it's hard to get there and I like places like that. You know, maybe you fly into Seattle and spend a day there. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot, uh, the over the, I guess the, the theme there is that, uh, it's not a, Exciting time to be anywhere but the SEC or the Big Ten.
0: Yeah. Prepare for a forthcoming VT Scoop article. Headline Look at the bright side. The 10 Pac 12 road trip destinations ranked.
1: <laughs> but it, it, it all there are is, some good ones, I'll say. Colorado. Colorado would uh, be sweet. Tucson. Come on. Arizona. Maybe we can be in November, play some golf. True. Uh, Cal Berkeley, I guess, is supposed to be cool.
0: Oregon, if they remain in it. Stanford.
1: We're just naming Pac-12 schools now. We're just naming all of them down the <laughs> list. Utah. Utah, might, Utah might actually be a good game, not just a road trip.
0: That'd be one to circle on the calendar. But in all reality, right? I mean, Doug, you just mentioned that. Bad time to be in any conference not named the SEC right now. I feel like that's kind of in the overarching vibe. You know, ever since that, Monumental shift that occurred when Oklahoma and Texas announced their intentions to head in that direction. Something that I believe, you know, a decade prior, Texas had been offered but unwilling to do because they didn't want to destroy the Big 12. Then apparently they didn't care anymore. And now it doesn't look like UCLA or USC are too worried about the the aftermath they leave, you know, not just in the Pac 12, but across the country in the ACC, in the Big 12, and of course in the Pac-12 as well. My question for you guys, right, is as we see this, as we see the Big 10 expanding, as we see the ACC probably standing pat right now as, you know, you look at the Big 12 as a, a conference that was previously, you know, even just 12 months ago, people started to question its viability in the long run. And now you have the ACC and the Pac-12, uh, you know, with the Pac-12 being left out to dry, the ACC, at least its member institutions, indirectly sort of maybe not left out to dry, but left with some questions, given that they're all locked in to the ACC, I believe, until 2036 by, by way of their contract, which kind of leads you to believe is, the ACC and Pac-12 are now scheming together with the Big 12 potentially, you know, maybe getting involved as well. Is that viable in an environment with the SEC as it will stand and the Big 10 as it will stand as we know today, not even including the possibility of a potential entrance from Notre Dame? Can the ACC, you know, link arms with these other conferences and, and stay competitive and relevant you know in the next decade decade and a half going forward as the fallout from this continues to uh, you know make waves across the country
2: if you're looking at the ACC as a whole staying relevant you would have to bank heavily on Ace, on uh, on Clemson and and Florida State being better and Miami being better and trying to build from that angle Virginia Tech stepping up taking that next step to Getting back to what they used to be, but monetarily, no. I mean, it's this is this is kind of a death blow to to a lot of schools. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at these realistic partnerships and you look at these handshake deals, I mean, none of that matters. If if I'm Virginia Tech, if I'm if I'm Whit Babcock, uh, and I'm sure these conversations have been going on for months, this isn't something that blindsides athletic directors and blindsides fans but this is something that's been in the works for a while I if I'm if I'm in those shoes I'm trying everything I can to get out of the ACC right now to get out of the the sinking ship I don't know what it's going to cost I don't know what lawyers you need I don't know any of those details but you got to find a way out uh, and I don't know with somebody out there is much smarter than me probably You all would know this more than I would, but I don't know about the AAU accreditation. Does Virginia Tech have it? Does the Big Ten still require it? I know that's been a hang-up in the past, Um, but if I'm Virginia Tech, I'm looking hard to try and find a way into the SEC. Should have taken it the first go-around. They definitely, if they get the opportunity, uh, they need need to uh, switch that logo real quick and and jump onto the SEC bandwagon.
0: Matei, what are your thoughts? You know, Evan mentions... This being a death blow to a number of schools, unless Virginia Tech can scheme their way into the SEC, can scheme their way into the Big Ten, is Virginia Tech on that list? Because I don't think that they have the, you know, the financial backing and national following and NIL potential of a Miami, of a Clemson, of a Florida State. These schools that we're mentioning, you know, could probably remain competitive regardless.
3: Yeah, I think it's tricky right now for Virginia Tech because they're kind of in a middle ground when you look at kind of the top schools in the SEC, how much revenue they're bringing to that conference, all the schools in the Big Ten relatively similar. It's not to say that, you know, Virginia Tech would be a welcome member to either of those conferences because they would bring a fan base, they would bring revenue um, towards the middle of the pack, at least for both of those. Um, It's just, it's a difficult situation right now where, You know, like Evan was saying, you kind of, you know, all these conferences kind of rely on the top dogs within that conference to bring a bulk of that revenue. And everyone's kind of jumping on to the latest TV contracts, building their divisions based off of that and their conferences based off of that. And, you know, it's a really tough time. Uh, Additionally, just for regional fan bases that, you know, you're so in tune with the same matchups for so long and, you know, tradition is such a big factor in college football, and it seems like it's dying out. With you know these schools, these conferences opting for the bigger payday, opting for the bigger TV contracts, and whichever conference gives them that. I think you know this is kind of the you know the the first couple dominoes that we're seeing. Uh, you know not only Oklahoma and Texas and uh, USC and UCLA, but you know it, it just seems like this whole thing is gearing towards you know, one super conference of all those top teams at the top of each of these conferences. And then right now it's about all those other schools like Virginia Tech that, you know, do bring a substantial fan base, do well um, kind of in a lot of markets uh, and, and bring momentum to college football. They're kind of figuring out, OK, what's best for us right now? And like Evan was mentioning, you, know, I always thought, you know, Virginia Tech was was destined to become a, a Big Ten school in the future. Um, but we'll see what happens with this.
0: I'll I'll ask you this, Doug. A friend of mine by the name of Will Spotswood, he said something to me, you know, kind of similar to what Matei was mentioning right there. And it's that college football is on this inevitable path towards what is essentially a professional style structure that the NCAA will no longer control college football, that it will be highly, you know, organized and professionalized if that school is at the top. And the question remains whether Virginia Tech can get their place at the table. I mean, a bigger question is how many places at the table will there even be? And that basically everything that we're going through right now is, the powers that be and the power structures that still exist holding on for dear life to something that resembles the previous structure. And that's kind of why it feels like we're pulling teeth here because, you know, it's we're pulling back from that inevitable march forward. Do you agree with that statement? Do you believe that, say, 10 years down the line, uh, 15 years down the line, we will be looking at you know a super conference or a you know dichotomy of super conferences and really more of an NFL style structure amongst the top of college football and if so can Virginia Tech be included in that
1: I think definitely that's where this is going um, if you just look at the i mean the disparity between the Big 10s the Big 10 and SEC TV deals now and everyone else it's already two, twice as much, um, and they're both about, or the SEC just renegotiated, and that'll go into effect in 2024. Big Ten is about to re-up, and they're both, and, and then the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are both about to re-up, and, and all four of them, uh, depending on how they structure the deal, they could do an eight-year deal, and they'll all be up again before, well before the ACC even gets another chance, so. You know, I definitely think we're heading for more consolidation over the next, you know, (laughs) same thing kind of happens after uh, OU in Texas last year, but everybody thinks it's moving quickly. Seems like it might slow down before either the SEC or Big Ten makes another move. But I definitely think, um, I think that, I think that's eventually where we head right now. They're at 16 and 16. So you kind of assume that uh, that's 32 plus Notre Dame once once they ask him somebody will take them um it feels like more probably more than that uh you know i guess college football if you think about how uh college football's tv windows typically been set up of a 12 p.m a three thirty, and 8 and a 10 30. It, 32 teams not all of them playing per week. I don't know if that's enough. That's not enough games for Fox, FS1, ESPN, ESPN. Like they, they're going to need a, they're going to need more teams involved to, to fill their uh, broadcast windows on Saturdays. So I think I, I know that there's a sense that like, or only Oregon and Washington and Notre Dame are the, maybe UNC are the move the needle schools um, left for the big 10 and then like Clemson and, fsu obviously for the for the sec but you know i think they i think there'll be an effort to kind of stretch this thing and keep national interest just because of that regional interest that carries a lot of a lot of the college football successes you know people tuning into alabama and people tuning into virginia tech and people tuning into texas and people tuning into to washington state um so i think there'll be you know i think I think going up to forty or or more um, feels like a natural. Feels like enough, you know, diversity of teams to keep things interesting and, and and supply enough, you know, TV content for 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 the two. I mean, it's ESPN and Fox that are really driving this thing, and then and then you think about like, is is CBS going to sit this out forever? Is NBC going to sit this out forever? Is Turner and TNT and TBS going to sit this out forever? Is Apple and Amazon never going to get involved? Like, there's going to be more, more TV windows and more opportunities to get more games on TV. So, I think I think there's definitely more space in the top division.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I certainly agree. Coming to your point, Doug the powers that be with money driving all of this and money being driven to the powers that be like need to realize that it is in the best interest of college football to expand the reach of the sport to as many people as possible. Right? Like it's not good for college football if Virginia tech is now irrelevant and You know, their fans are all completely disengaged from the sport because they feel burned. And that's, I mean, I, I use Virginia Tech as the example because this is a Virginia Tech podcast, but you could say the same thing about Stanford fans or about Arizona State fans, right? Like, the sport, as much as it is a regional sport mostly focused in the South, like, I mean, look at college football ratings in Boston versus college football ratings in Virginia, in South Carolina, it's like wh- the more teams are part of the local and state culture, both at the universities and the regions themselves, the more the sport is going to thrive at large. And by shrinking that pot, you know, I mean, I, I'm people would get behind, you know, a 20-team league with Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama and so on and so forth. To, the major players, but I don't think that's good for the health of the sport. Both, like from a purity standpoint, I don't think any of this is really helpful for it from a purity standpoint. But you know, from a bottom line standpoint, and for expanding the reach of the game, if you will.
1: Yeah, uh, and you know the the thing that is interesting about that point is like the, there's 16 teams in the SEC and 16 teams in the Big Ten. Well, one of them's Vanderbilt, one of them's Northwestern uh you know indiana football doesn't move the needle at all like you know i'd probably argue like kentucky football is in that same realm like who's watching who's watching who's watching vanderbilt versus texas when you know my team hasn't been like has been kicked to the curb as a relevant college football program like there's maybe your alabama auburn game and your. You know, Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, USC, Ohio State stays relevant. But, like, there's the, – that the lack of interest in college football damages at least the bottom of the super conferences um, at some point. So, um, you know, I definitely don't think this evolution is over yet.
2: Don't let Doug fool you. He is amped for Rutgers-UCLA. He's amped for it.
0: Piscataway Piscataway is going to be rocking. So, you know, as we talk about this, we kind of look at it in the lens of college football, because that's what's driving all this. But these conferences are larger structures that really, you know, encompass every sport. Like, you know, with the introduction of UCLA into the Big Ten, we're not only talking about Rutgers UCLA football games, we're talking about Rutgers UCLA volleyball matches and soccer games. And, you know, at large, I don't know if it financially makes a ton of sense. I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't even know if it's really good for the athletes. So, you know, as we talk about this inevitable march towards a super conference, What happened? Is this going to be something that happens exclusive to college football? Are we looking at something where the NCAA is going to be an irrelevant entity, at least when it comes to, you know, major level college football? And if that does happen, you know, will something resembling the ACC still exist on the basketball court on the men's side? Will it still exist on the the women's soccer, or are we looking at a situation where, you know, this entire operation, major college sports as we know it, is going to, you know, implode completely, and the largest university that the NCAA has any control over is New Mexico State? Uh,
1: I think a little both of what you said. I don't think we're going to be long for a world where USC's volleyball team is traveling to iowa or to rutgers to play on a tuesday night on a friday night whenever um this is a revenue sport decision specifically football i wouldn't be surprised if they figure out a way to um maintain or have some have some control over like men's basketball women's basketball and even baseball um, at least in the SEC, I don't know if it's a big revenue driver in the big ten, but like everything else is just like bloat, basically for for like the main the core mission here is to make as much money as possible playing football or men's basketball. Like eventually, USC and Michigan and Ohio State are going to be like, why are we spending all this money to send for athletes to? You know, across the country all the time to play volleyball or some other non revenue generating sport when we can just let those sports go. You know, you schools figure it out, play each other regionally. You know, I think that's probably where we head, where like maybe, maybe it happens for a little while, but eventually they're going to be, you know, they're going to be looking for ways to be more efficient and make more money and, and all that stuff. And that's, that's certainly not flying your, Your volleyball team across the country when they can just play like if you're USC they could just play UCLA, San Diego, San Jose State, Arizona, like pepperdine
0: schools like that.
1: I mean, just form your own little volleyball conference and 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 completely reduce the the money you're spending on that. Um, You know, I think that's you know probably a long ways off considering we still got a long ways to go to figure out the whole football model, but that's the next step beyond when once they figure out the football model is like, what are we doing with all this other stuff?
0: True that, true that Evan right now today, you know, are you hearing rumblings of this realignment? Is it affecting the way that, you know, things are going on the recruiting trail at all you know is this something that in the immediate term is going to impact virginia tech's message is this uncertainty going to create a uh you know a, a dark cloud over brent prize comeback attempt here on the recruiting trail do, do you believe
2: nothing i've really heard yet uh, but i think we're too too uh, early in the process to really know you know obviously the SEC and the Big Ten carry their own weight when it comes to recruiting. So, you know, you you will always have kids that want to go to the SEC because it's the SEC. You will always have kids that want to play Big Ten football. Um, you know, you'll have uh, Penn State will always win their share of battles. Maryland will win their share of battles. Rutgers will win, you know, some of the guys in New Jersey and they have their own recruiting footprint and things like that. So, You know, and then you look at the big guys, you look at Ohio State, they're always going to get their guys. Alabama's going to get their guys. Clemson is going to be a little, maybe a little bit interesting because they recruit that higher caliber type of player right now. Um, You know, guys that would compete against, uh, you know, in Alabama and Ohio State and, and be able to really compete to get that commitment. But I think where Virginia Tech sits, I don't think it really matters at this point. I haven't heard much of it, I should say. Uh, You know, I think, you know, if you have the opportunity on the other side of this, if Virginia Tech has the opportunity to recruit as a member of the ACC or recruit as a member of the SEC, that's where you will see a tangible, viable difference. Um, You know, the the SEC uh, carries a lot of weight. Um, So if you have a program like Virginia Tech that has a – solid history of football, has a really nice campus, really good education, an overly enthusiastic coaching staff. And then on top of that, you can sell come and play in the SEC. I think you're going to have a lot easier time recruiting than saying come play in the ACC. Uh, So, you know, as as things are right now, I haven't heard too much of it. I do think it will change in the future. Uh, I think we'll start to see a little bit of a shift. Right now, it's a little bit more shifting towards NIL than it is conference
0: realignment. That's fair. That's fair. Definitely, uh, you know, individual motivators like money <laughs> definitely going to impact decisions there. Uh, but let's talk about what's been happening on the recruiting trail recently because Virginia Tech has had an absolute flurry of commitments over the course of the last you know, seven, ten days, maybe even a little bit more at this point, but. You know, it seems like we're, you know, just two months removed from fans sounding the alarms early that the commitments weren't coming in and this was already amounting to be a failure. And it seems like there's some evidence to the contrary there, Evan. Well, I'll start with this one. Of all the commitments that have come in, from a big picture standpoint, which one means the most?
2: Braylon Johnson, for sure. Uh, Highland Springs guy, well respected guy, son of the head coach, uh, pipeline school staff. There is it, it all big time Virginia Tech guys, um, and for Virginia Tech to go in not only to land a legacy, I think you know some people might have thought it was a given that he was uh, that brother was going to end up a Hokie, but you know Virginia Tech had to go recruit against Shane Beamer, who obviously knows LJ really well, and Torian Gray. Um, that's not the easiest of things to do when those guys have the deep connections they have to LJ and to, to Braylon's family. So from a big picture standpoint, that was a huge commitment for Virginia Tech. It not only helps get a footprint back at Highland Springs, continuing uh, you know, to continue building there, uh, gets your name back in Richmond. Um, I think Fontel Mons has done a really good job there. Richmond is an area that Virginia Tech has to win to be able to win the state year in and year out. They have to be able to go in and win their share of the battles uh, in the 804. And I think I think Braylon Johnson, you know, I think when somebody asked me weeks ago, most important recruit left on the board, and immediately I said Braylon Johnson. Like he's, he's just got so many connections. He comes from such a big school and, and getting LJ. You know, LJ now has another vested interest in the Hokies. You know, he's he's not a type of coach that's gonna gonna try and steer kids one way or another, but I think it's gotta help parents of guys at Highland Springs that say Virginia Tech is interested or Virginia Tech has offered, and the head coach sent his son to play there. I think that speaks volumes. It may not be much spoken word, but just the fact that that LJ is trusting Virginia Tech and trusting the staff with his own son will help Virginia Tech in the long run at Highland Springs, who has got to be one of the top probably five schools in the state of Virginia year in and year out.
0: So, I mean, Virginia Tech hadn't gotten a Highland Springs commitment in quite some time. Like, how badly was that bridge burned by the Funte regime? Was that like exclusively it? And the coach went to Virginia Tech.
2: I mean, it's not just it's not just the head coach that went to Virginia Tech. A lot of his staff went to Virginia Tech, and it seemed like, you know, we've talked about this before. It seemed like, uh, you know, Justin Fuente wanted to trust his evaluations. He wanted to cut out the noise and trust his contacts and trust his guys. Well, his contacts and his guys weren't in the state of Virginia. So it wasn't just Highland Springs. It was Oscar Smith. It was... Uh, Lake Taylor. It was uh, pretty much, you know, other than Lord Botetourt, who really, really pushed to get their kids recruited. Um, he didn't really have much of m- many pipelines in his uh, in the state of Virginia during his tenure. So, you know, I think uh, last year getting Rashad Purnell was big. Uh, you know, obviously that didn't end up working out. He's now, I believe, he come to Liberty after getting out of his. Letter of intent, but you know we heard right away when that happened that this was not going to impact things with Highland Springs. um You know that LJ and and, and uh, Brent Pry were really on the same page here, uh, and and you could see you know obviously getting uh, getting Key Heath uh, a few you know maybe a month or so ago. I think he committed in May. You know getting him and then getting Braylon and then you know. Maybe you can look at next year's classes and see the guys that they have coming next year. It just helps build that pipeline a little bit back. Now it's not going to be like Highland Springs is going to send every kid they have to Virginia Tech from here to kingdom come still a lot to prove there. You got to be able to prove you can develop players. You have to put a good product out on the field, but just, you know, having that coaching staff trusting Virginia Tech again and and, you know, welcoming them back into the schools, uh, you know, and, and sending their kids up to camp and doing the seven on seven. And it just seems like there's a completely different vibe right now around that those those staff members. And, uh, you know, the Highland Springs staff, a lot of them played at Virginia Tech, so they really wanted their players to be recruited by the Hokies. It means a lot when you're recruited by the in-state school, and it means even more when you went there. So, you know, that, that bridge was burned, uh, but that bridge is uh, definitely being reconstructed, uh, and I think that we will see it be pretty fruitful in the future um, now that now that Braylon's in and, and Key Heath are in. If those two guys start to have good uh, good careers at Virginia Tech and they're talking up the Hokies, I think that's going to definitely help things in the long run.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. It is interesting though, because when Brett Pride came in, you know, so much of the attention was on recruiting the Commonwealth of Virginia. But as I look at, you know, the two, four, seven composite rankings of Virginia Tech's commitment list right now, and your top four guys are from out of state with the guy at the top of the list being the number one player in the state of West Virginia, that being, Leith Gannum, if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, you know, one of the top 30 offensive linemen uh, in the country on the interior side, like I mentioned before. Uh, number one player in the state of West Virginia. Was this a guy that was, you know, on the Hokies radar with Justin Fuente at the helm? Uh, and it was just an easy transition. Like, what's the, what's the story behind it this year?
2: Well, I mean, with with Leith, I mean, he is he's a West Virginia guy. He's going to graduate from West Virginia high school. But. He also grew up in Bluefield, Virginia. So that's kind of the tie there to the region, you know, grew up with a couple of guys that are in Blacksburg now um, and really just like the Virginia Tech vibe. Um, you know, he had uh, taken a, a couple visits, uh, you know, to a couple other schools, maybe some coaches from uh, that are on the Virginia Tech staff now had already seen him and kind of uh, brought that along to get him up to Blacksburg. Uh, you know, once the, once the coaching staff was in in January and they were able to get guys up on, on campus, he was up early and often guy that Joe Rudolph seemed to kind of gravitate to. And, you know, I just think that Virginia Tech felt like it was home to him being a guy from Bluefield. And, you know, he, when he, uh, when he committed, he said he had, you know, there's two places that have kind of shaped him in his life and it was Bluefield and it was uh, Charleston, West Virginia. So, you know he's definitely a Virginia guy. He was a little torn making that decision against uh, going against West Virginia, but you know I think he's going back to his roots. You know you look at some of the other guys that they had. You know like Asen Stevens is a guy that people will immediately look at and say Brent Pry only you know he wanted to recruit six hour radius and Indianapolis is not in that six hours, but. Asen Stevens' older brother Tommy was recruited by Pry at Penn State, and uh, you know he knows a lot of the staff, knows Tyler Bowen. Um, you know when he transferred to Mississippi State, Chris Marv was there, so you know there's a lot of ties to that family. There's a lot of ties uh, personally from Pry to him. I uh, you know he committed. Uh, I think he was the second commitment in the string of commitments that happened recently, um, and he's a big-time player coming off of a knee injury, but. The guy that could be an outside linebacker could grow into a defensive end. Uh, you know, I think he brings a lot of positional versatility there. So, you know, I think Virginia Tech's done really well uh, recruiting their region. I think there's some guys on this list that uh, I think we'll see some ranking fluctuations happening. I think a lot of that, when the state of in the state of Virginia, is still the ripple effect of COVID and moving the season from the fall to the spring. And then, you know, some guys, some, some schools had a shortened season. Some players weren't able to play. There were lack of camps in the state. You really didn't get a whole lot of uh, visibility during those formative ranking years for a lot of the guys that are in the state of Virginia. I talk with Brian Doan a lot about that. He's the, the uh, analyst, the ranking analyst for the state of Virginia. And, you know, once we once we can see some more film, you know, now that there's camps actually happening this summer that media is allowed at, and you start to get track times in, and you see seven-on-seven seven events, you'll see a lot of ranking fluctuations that happen. Um, but right now, I think Virginia Tech's done a good job. I think Pry's done a good job winning some battles. He's lost a few, too, and uh, he's got a couple big-time prospects that might be making decisions here soon that I think could really take Virginia Tech to the next step.
0: Well, who might those be, Evan?
2: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm huge on Christian Williams. I think he's one of the top players in the state of Virginia out of collegiate. He's a wide receiver, DB. Um, you know, I've talked to several guys that have seen him in person. Um, one one person I really trust says, you know, he would be a very, very talented college wide receiver, but he's an NFL safety. Um, and I trust that I trust that guy's evaluations. He hasn't steered me wrong before. Uh, I think that I think that he's a big time player, Um, you know. And and we've heard over the last two weeks that Cam Fleming, uh, you know, at Trinity Episcopal, looked like he might be leaning towards UNC. uh, Took that official visit to Virginia Tech, and then kind of shut things down a little bit. He hasn't talked to anyone, he hasn't visited anyone, he hasn't really done anything. um, And now all of a sudden, he looks like he's ready to make a decision. And, And you know, I'm I'm I haven't put an official crystal ball in there yet, but Uh, I'm leaning towards the Hokies on that one. I think that that Virginia Tech, I think Fontel Mines specifically has done enough to keep him home. And I think he's a very, very talented DB that that you will hear his name uh, talked about a lot in the college level. And I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up being an NFL guy himself.
0: All right, last thing I guess we should touch on because we haven't. And I guess this seems like kind of old news at this point, given everything that we talked about for the first You know, 15, 20 minutes of the program in terms of conference realignment. But the ACC did put out their new scheduling format. Virginia Tech's common opponents year in and year out will be Virginia. No surprise there. Pittsburgh, maybe a surprise to some, not necessarily a surprise to me. And Wake Forest, who seemed to surprise pretty much everyone, which I guess. You know, given that Wake Forest is, you know, Winston-Salem, probably the geographically closest location to Virginia Tech, at least by car ride, shouldn't. But I don't think they were on anyone's radar. A lot of Virginia Tech fans out there screaming from the Racksters as the Hokies have gotten screwed when they're permanently being matched up against the last two teams to play each other in the ACC championship. Matei, Doug, what say you about this new format and the, the hand that Virginia Tech was dealt?
3: Yeah, I mean, Pitt and Virginia makes sense. It's the Wake Forest one that gets me. I wish you could have, you know, traded Wake Forest for, like, a UNC, although those are arguably, like, you know, the top three teams or top four teams, including Virginia Tech, of the ACC Coastal. Uh, But in terms of, you know, the three that they got, um, you know, there's not a ton of complaints. It's easy to get to Winston-Salem for Virginia Tech fans. You know, they're a program on the rise. Um, You know, Dave Clawson, a a guy that's been building them up and was, you know, rumored to be the Virginia Tech coach, but wasn't. But, you know, overall, I think, you know, in in terms of what, you know, most of the schools got, I think a a lot of it made sense. But I think the biggest takeaway from, you know, this three five five model is just, you know, it's going to be weird not seeing um, a UNC in 2023. And instead, it seems like basically Virginia Tech was transferred over to the Atlantic Division with everyone they're playing, you know, against NC State, Syracuse, Boston College, Florida State, and Louisville. It's just like, you know, it's all the other ACC schools, but, you know, that's that's the reason they put this model in place. They want all these schools within the ACC to get good face time uh, and not wait so long between playing each other. So, uh, in terms, you know, two of the three, I think most fans are, are happy with, you know, those are heated rivalries between Pitt and Virginia was, you know, obvious, uh, from any angle, I think wake force depends how you look at it, but you know, it's, it's a close game and, and one that, that fans are familiar with it's, and it's a, an opponent on the rise.
0: Here's what I'll Here's what I'll say. Here's my take real quick. We've never seen the ACC make a, you know, holistically perfect decision on the football end. It seems like all options were flawed. Uh, Look, I mean, I got to Blacksburg in 2014 and lived there for eight years. And not one time in those eight years did Florida State ever come to town to play the Hokies in football. Under the new system, if you go to a four-year university, or if you go to a university for four years consecutively, Every ACC team will come to your place and you will go to every ACC team at least once. And, you know, from a Virginia Tech fan perspective, look, like, I didn't, I have no reason to have angst against NC State or Wake Forest or Louisville, for that matter, on the gridiron. You just don't play them enough. It's like they're playing in a completely different league. You know, this way will, it will juice up the competitiveness among the league as a whole, I think that every other year Virginia Tech Miami will still draw eyes and for those of you that are mad about you know that rivalry not being preserved that the ACC didn't go out of the, their way to ensure that that happened I, I'd like to inform you that it's 2022 and not 2012 anymore and though that you know is still a game that you know both fan bases appreciate it's not the big national game that it was 10 years ago And for the 10 years prior to that, had it remained that way, had both teams remained very good and at the top of the league, maybe the ACC would have gone out and tried to preserve it. But at the end of the day, you know, there are are going to be some games that are lost in the fray when you need to give every team three permanent opponents. Miami's got a lot of rivals. Florida State, they're going to play every year. So you're down to two spots. And, and, you know, geographically, it just makes a whole hell of a lot more sense for Virginia tech to be playing Pittsburgh, who you know, they're the one school in the ACC, that Pittsburgh could really claim a historic rivalry against. I mean, would you disagree with that? I mean, would they have any big natural rival other than us maybe dating back to the big East days? I don't know. Maybe something in there, Syracuse, Louisville, Boston college, what have you. But you know, it's, you know, some things we're going to have to, you know, miss the cut, and unfortunately for those of you that wanted to see that Miami game preserved, you know, the, the aura of the game is not enough in 2022 to warrant the ACC to go out of their way to preserve it.
1: I think the 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 impact of the switch to the the rotating schools just like drastically outweighs the 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 three rotating opponents like. Being able to play the entire conference within twice within four years is substantially way better than anything else. Um, you know, I think Tech kind of got screwed a little bit with the 2023 schedule, which that home slate is now um, woefully mediocre. But I mean, from that from then on, Clemson, UVA, Louisville finally travels to Blacksburg in 2024. Um, 2025, you get Florida State. 2026, Virginia, Miami, and UNC all at home with a road trip to Clemson. Like playing, playing the entire conference as much as possible. It, it's just what like nitpick the Wake Forest over Miami or whatever. But that alternative is just so so much substantially an improvement over what what the previous model was. That like I would have been happy with any three opponents, as long as these aren't long term opponents. UVA, sure, maybe Pitt, sure, but I I would I would uh I know Jim Phillips is an avid listener to this podcast, and I would implore him to not lock in anything else beyond twenty twenty six. You know, like if if this is a four year thing and then they reevaluate every four years, if UNC gets put on text rotating opponents or text, you know, yearly opponents starting with the 2027 season for four years, you play, you'll have played Carolina in six out of eight years. Same thing with Miami. Like that's pretty, pretty consistent. Um, consistent enough, given. The trade off of of what you're getting in terms of regular visits from Clemson and Florida State. And um, assuming that all lasts. And of course, this could all be rendered irrelevant at some point over the next 12 months. But um,
0: 12 days, who knows? 12
1: 12 days, who knows? I mean, but, uh, you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, it's a no brainer. Like hosting Clemson once every 12 years, like going to Florida State once every 12 years or whatever it was like Madison social is a great bar down at Florida state. Had a great time down there in Tallahassee. Um, doing that more is what is what college football is about. Like, you know, that's visiting those kind of college towns. Virginia Tech has been to Clemson since 2012. Like it'll be, let's see, they go to Clemson now and, and, t- in uh 2026, it'll be 14 years in between visits to Clemson, South Carolina. Like, that's a ridiculous. And so, this is definitely an improvement. Of course, whether the improvement lasts or it's too little, too late is another story. But um, yeah, I think it. I think it makes you know most sense and is is a good move.
0: I will say, uh, you know, one of my bucket list items, one that I believe to be my most easily attainable bucket list items is seeing Virginia Tech play at every ACC football, you know, away stadium. And the pressure is on now (laughs) because who knows how long that's going to last, you know, but it it should be interesting. And then again, we'll we'll knock out the ACC and then, you know, we could do like inside the tunnel on the road in Corvallis, Oregon. It's, you know, who knows what the future holds. Evan, are you going to fund that?
2: Uh, Doug said he was going to fund it with his uh, beard and IL deal he was getting.
1: There it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Once
1: per podcast, man. There it is. Connor
2: Balbrick. Yeah,
1: we shouldn't have invested the whole
0: Inside the Tunnel Travel Fund in uh, Bitcoin. That was, that was short-sighted. <laughs> but... Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. I, that's, that seems to be good for uh, you know this this early July post-4th of July weekend edition of inside the tunnel uh any announcements news anything you want to leave on the table for the people at home before we check out we're gonna to to start doing this more regularly football season's like eight weeks away
1: that, uh, that, i was gonna say well eight weeks away until games start play but fall camp starts four weeks from you know i guess if you're listening to this anytime after uh july 7th we're looking at less than four weeks to go so uh Things are going to be starting to ramp up here. Um, So, you know, it'll be good to be back on talking about stuff on the field as opposed to like, you know, brand of rights, television contracts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Matei, anything going on with you? I'm going to be in your neck of the woods uh, this weekend. I'm going to Baltimore to see the Orioles play. You you want to venture up to uh, the beautiful city of Baltimore? (laughs) Potentially.
3: I mean, it's been, you know, 95 plus degrees plus humidity, so we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll swing on a mark train and, and come up there, but not much is going on right now. I feel like that's kind of the name of the game, just trying to stay in tune with, with everything um, that pops out of the blue, whether it's conference realignment or commitment. So, uh, like Doug was mentioning, excited to chop it up about our preseason expectations coming up and We'll see, you know, all the wrinkles and twists that they throw when the season finally rolls around. Andrew, you going to Pickles?
0: I am going to Pickles. That is
3: yeah. uh, that is on the agenda.
1: An institution.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I need to Drink myself some uh, Natty Bow and become one with the uh, the culture of Baltimore. <laughs> it was that or the Hooters in the Inner Harbor. So a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, any final words from you, man?
2: No, just that Doug came within an hour of my house and didn't give me a call. So I'm going to hold a grudge against that. He's were, the next... Matei Mate does the same thing.
1: You were in like Newfoundland.
3: <laughs>
2: I, was, I was sailing the seven seas.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't expose yourself now, Evan. Yeah. And Evan took everything that was left in our Bitcoin fund and bought a yacht. That's... Unfortunately, very, uh, very small yacht. (laughs) Well, that small yacht is jeopardizing our trip to Piscataway, New Jersey, in a couple of years to see the non-conference battle between Virginia Tech and Rutgers. So, you know, it's uh, sacrifices have to be made across the board. But you don't need to sacrifice this podcast. In fact, as we just mentioned, it will be ramping up. We'll be talking about things that are much more relevant to the on-the-field experience that will be the first year of the Brent Pry era. will be, you know, position-by-position position previews as we head towards the season, taking a look at the schedule, maybe getting in tune with some of our uh, 247 colleagues who are covering some of our opponents, see how things are going on in the offseason around the ACC. The Possibilities are really endless. I'm coming up with them on the spot as we speak, and I already just came up with three ideas – You are not going to want to miss them. As always, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Go spend your money on a VIP subscription. So take and get a new pair of Crocs. Uh, And yeah, as always, go Hokies.